July 7th, 2023, we're in Masechet at the very bottom of the Amud, two lines from the bottom of the last word on the line, says the Gemara, citing from the Mishnah, if you recall, the Mishnah said, there's uh, this Melacha, which we were explaining in the Mishnah, it's called Makebe Patish, putting the final touches on the manufacturing, on the production of something. And one of the last of the examples that we had in the Mishnah was that you're not allowed to be hotek, you're not allowed to cut or split. Eta petila lishnaim, petila means a wick. You're not allowed to take a long wick and turn one long wick into two wicks, which are now usable, that would be considered makebe patish, says the Gemara, or said the Mishnah in its concluding statement. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, hotcha ba'ur. Rabbi Yehuda added or disagreed, and he said, but you're allowed to if you use fire as opposed to your hand or a utensil, cut one long wick into two. Ask the Gemara here, the last line of the Gemara, why is it that when it comes to using a knife, comes to using a utensil, in order to split the petila, the wick into two, it's asur, by so doing, you'd be metaken mana, you'd be fixing a utensil, you'd be makebe patish, ba'ur nameh, as the Gemara, when it comes to fire as well, nameh means also, kamitaken mana, you'd be fixing a utensil. That's effectively a, a, a long two-line question, which means, what's the difference between using fire or anything else in order to split this wick into two? Answers the Gemara, tane rbihya hotcha ba'ur nerot. The interpretation, the suggestion of Rabbi Hiya from a, 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 an earlier statement goes as follows. You're using fire, befi nerot. Well, if you recall, ner in our Mishnah, and in turn in our Gemara, is a reference to the item that's holding the oil with, within which you put the wick. So the vision, uh, the visual you have to have over here is you have two of those items side by side and you're interested in lighting both of them, but you have only one long wick, so you take the one long wick and put one side of it into the receptacle on this end, and you put the other end of it into on the other end, and then you light a fire in the middle. By so doing, it'll naturally split the wicks, and then filter out to the sides, you'll have two separate candles. Again, instead of taking the wick separately and lighting it in the middle, middle and purposefully showing that you're splitting it into two, you're instead interested in two candles being lit. And in order to effectuate two candles being lit, you took two of the items, two lamps side by side, two, well, I don't know if the lamp is unfinished, the lamp is finished, but two lamps without a wick in them. So they're filled with oil, you place the wick across the two of them, lit it in the middle, and by so doing, you split it, but it kind of naturally brought forth fire in each of the two lamps. Why is that okay, Rashi? Befishete nerot, the second line in Rashi, on the left-hand top. Noten shete rasheha, shene rasheha, you put the two heads of the wick, into, into two lamps, if you're interested in lighting both of them. In other words, this is not just a gimmick for doing it, it's specifically when you're interested in lighting two lamps, having two candles lit, in order to light them at once, and then you light, you kindle the fire in the middle. It's not clear and observable, de le takune mana mechaven, ela le hadlaka be alma. 
By so doing, explains Rashi, probably, it's a shinui, it's not clear, it's not simple that this is a regular activity of splitting a wick into two. It rather instead looks like you're lighting two separate lamps, that would be mutar. That's the suggestion of the Gemara for Rabbi Huda. Again, in our Mishnah, we had a mahluk, and according to the Chachamim, you can't under any circumstances be splitting the wick into two. According to Rabbi Huda, if you did a bishinui in a purposeful fashion, where I'm interested in two candles lighting, that would be mutar. Says the Gemara, onward, Amar Rav Natan Baraba, Amar Rav Mohatin Etapetila Beyom Tob. A statement, Rav Natan Baraba, in the name of Rav is, you're allowed to be mohet, uh, generally speaking, mohet sounds like mahat, sounds something like a, uh, a needle. What does it have to do with a needle and a wick, a petila on yom tov? Firstly, what's the action? And secondly, what would you have imagined? Why would this action be uh, prohibited that he's telling us that it's permitted? So the Gemara begins by defining what it is, my mohatin. What did that word mean? What does it mean to bring forth a needle-like um, a wick of some sort? Amar of hanina bar shalmaya. Rashi on the fourth and the last wide line or the second to last when the top of a used wick becomes charred filled with some sort of charcoal you're removing that from it says Rashi lehasir you're removing the darkness from the top you're removing the charred top of the wick in order to in, uh, uh, take away the difficulty in its lighting now it's lit easily uh, that's what we have in our Gemara you might recall on Daf Kafbet we had a statement that I think it was called Kinava Kinva was Asur and Tosafot over there distinguished between this Gemara and that one. Over there was a reference to you're preparing the wick before lighting. Over here it's once the wick is already lit. If it's before lighting you're somehow removing that dark stuff from it. Uh, that would be considered in a clear and observable fashion. Tikkun mana, it's makebe patish, you're finishing and fixing that wick. Over here now that the wick is already lit and it's got that developed on it and you're in some way continuing that wick to, to light, that's what's permitted. There is a mahluk between Harambam, Ra'avad and others about whether this is permitted specifically if it's done with your hand or even if it's with, with a utensil. A utensil, Harambam says explicitly, it's got to be done with your hand. Why so? Well, if you're doing it with a utensil, even though it's already lit, it looks like more of a professional action. It looks like you're finishing this wick. You're not just heke, happenstance, removing that in order for the light to go better. Ra'avad disagrees, something along the lines of sorecho nefesh, something along the lines of this is for simchat yom tov. We're going to permit it under all circumstances. Go ahead. About this on Shabbat, none of this would be permitted on Shabbat. We talk about these. Well, I understand. We talk about petila. We don't talk about being. We don't talk about being mohet. Believe it or not, I say it also. Um, that's that's what I answered him. This is talking about a candle on Yom Tov, which I'm interested in. Yom Tov. I mean, I don't know that they distinguished per se, but it's a candle that's lit, which you're interested in, continued lighting with good light, with good uh, brightness. 
Damn. No, the needle, the needle, like, uh, what do you want me to tell you? The needle, that's the way Haram Bab says it. It's, no, 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 no. He's talking about danger to your hands. Not a, uh, why is it called needle-like? I imagine is when you remove it, you're making it a lot, you're scraping it off, and you're making it a lot finer, a lot narrower. I think it looks like it. Rashi's words at the top of the Amud were Im If you need to, if you're interested in using both at once. It sounds like it sounds like from Rashi it would have been prohibited otherwise. You can't just do it, it would still be a tikkun mana. Says the Gemara onward, Tane Barkapara. Barkapara is the following statement from the Beraita. Shisha devarim ne'emru bebetila. If you want to understand, there are six matters, three of stringency, three of leniency, three asur, three mutar, with regards to wicks and yom tov. How so? Shiloshalahmir, three cases where they're gonna be asur, you're not allowed to do something to it. Ushloshalahakil, three notable ones where it's permitted. Number number first group of three, Lahmir. Number one, En Godlin Biyom Tob. Uh, the statement in the in in the Beraita is you're not allowed to elongate it uh, on Yom Tob. Uh, how would you uh, elongate this uh, petila on Yom Tob? Probably by um, by probably by uh, weaving it together. In other words, a wick is several strands that are weaved. Twist. We're talking about we're talking about length. We're talking about what's that? He's talking about length of the wick or duration of the wick. No, it's it's making the wick. You're weaving the wick. Toveh. Spinning. Why isn't it melechet toveh, you're asking? No, it isn't. That's what you're doing. You're elongating it or you're braiding it. Maybe gedela milashon braiding. You're bringing forth uh, a wick by crafting it. Why is that asur? Makeh bepatish as well. In the case of the, yeah, Right, it's already made. All I have on it over there is some charred top. Over here, I'm crafting it. And that's different because it already exists, even though you're, you're furthering the, the bridge of it. Correct, correct. Isn't braiding, or, or better yet, isn't weaving a melacha? Isn't this melechet tevia? Is, is an important. What happened? He's saying that to add to the wick, adjusting the wick when it's lit, you're talking about the back end to extend it longer? Over or here? Yeah, yeah, where the here. light is. We're talking about there's nothing lit. I'm taking uh, taking some small threads and I'm trying to make a wick. Nothing lit over here. Nothing lit. We're just talking about a. Why is it making a wick? Why not just creating a No, we're talking about adjusting the wick. You said No, not adjusting. Talking about making a wick. We moved into something else. We're past, with the ju- past the judge, uh, adjustment at this point. Why isn't it melechet teviyah to begin with in the first place? Asked Charles. It's an important question. Oh, it's, we do have a melacha known as teviyah. Uh, it might be in, in the specific context for one reason or another, you're not doing it to that extent. Alternatively, as the Aharonim suggests, it goes like this. When it comes to Melechet Tiviyah, there's a specific shi'ur, there's a specific measurement for the size. When it comes to Makebe Patish, there's not. So the statement over here is, even if you don't have the measurement of Tiviyah, it's still Asur, but certainly if you're going to make a longer wick that's going to hit that measurement, it would be Asur as well. Ba'ur, the second prohibited humrah action with regards to a wick is you're not allowed to be mehavhev 
ba'ur. To be mehavhiv ba'ur probably means something along the line of, of scorching it. Is that how they translate singing. it? Singing. Singing. Singing it in the fire. So again, you're finishing it uh, in order to make it more usable. It had some, something on it. It wasn't fully clean and clear with regards to how it would be lit. You're putting it on the side of the fire in order to fix it. Asura as well. And lastly, the third we know from the Mishnah, you're not allowed to in a regular fashion split it into two. Each one of these three prohibitions is because of the Isur of or the Melacha of Makeb Patish. The following three actions are permitted and maybe you would have imagined are prohibited when it comes to a wick. Lehakel, that's the heading of it. The following three are leniencies. Mimma'acha Bayad, you're first and foremost allowed to be Mimma'ech Bayad. To be Mimma'ech means to uh, means to rub it in your hand. It's not something that's, that's not the regular way that you would fix it by rubbing it in your hand. You're rubbing it in your hand in order to make it uh, more refined, maybe to make it uh, tighter and uh, so that it lights easier. But that's permitted because you're not doing it in more of a professional fashion. Nothing is lit over here, Rob. Is Nothing's <laughs> lit. Nothing's. I know we got very excited. You stick your hand into fire. You're not allowed to fix utensils. You're not allowed to create something. Nobody's saying This is permitted because it's done kilaharyad, says Rashi. It's done in a, in a roundabout, backwards fashion. To do it in your hands like that, four sorech yom tov is permitted. Tachilak with wallets lit. Forget I ever said wallets lit. You guys got very stuck on that. Nothing's lit over here. It seems bothersome that you could adjust it when it's lit, but when it's not lit, you can't adjust. Preparing it to be lit. So in this circumstance, it's not lit. And you're holding it, but instead of fixing it in the regular fashion, you're doing a kalahayad, which bumps it down from being an isur from the Torah to a rabbinic violation, prohibition, and in turn for sorech yom tov, it's permitted. Secondly, vishora bashemen, you're allowed to um, put it into oil in order to make it uh, more susceptible to be lit. Maybe you'd imagine that's part of the preparation process. Maybe it's. The soaking. What's the issue of soaking? You're not let it. You're not let it. You're not let it ring it out. But soaking. So that when I light it afterwards, it'll be lit better. Why would you have imagined it's not okay? Because you're preparing it. Maybe it's the final actions. The hidushes. It's not considered so. Soaking it is not a final action of a wick. You can do that in order to light it afterwards, but that's not considered part of the actions but to the wick. That's 100%, but in such a circumstance, you're finishing the wick. This doesn't finish the wick over here. There's no such gezerah over here. You have certain gezerot in some circumstances where the hachamim talk about the type of sponge you can use or not. In some circumstances, not. I mean, in other words, when it comes to, uh, as the hachamim do and have talked about on Yom Tov, immersing yourself in mer hasaot, they don't say, but cover your hair. There are circumstances that they don't fear that for one reason or another. They don't fear that. I, my, my imagination over here is the reason they're not nervous about it is because probably a person's interested in as much oil as you can have. 
and I'm nervous. It's not going to put it out. It's only going to help the lighting. And that last statement we know already from the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda from earlier that you're allowed to split one long wick into two if you're doing it in the fashion that we mentioned earlier at the top of the Amud that you put one side of the long wick in one lamp and the other side in the other lamp and you lit in the middle by so doing, you're not markedly splitting it into two. You're rather lighting two lamps at once. It's mutar in such a way. Says the Gemara, now that we've mentioned Rav Natan Bar Abba, now that we've mentioned his statement, we have two memrot, two, uh, two uh, agadas types of statements, away from halacha, away from yom tov halachot, um, that he too uh, made and uh, worth noting over here. Ve'amar Rav Natan Bar Abba, again, no bearing, no relevancy to the last Gemara. It's rather just the same rabbi who made this statement, and in turn, the Gemara recorded it over here. Amarav atire bavel yorede gehenamhem. You should know atire, the wealthy people of Bavel, uh, they are descending or going to descend into Gehenom. Uh, why so? Kiha de Shabbetai bar Merinus. The Gemara says, we'll, we'll prove it from a story which took place with this individual whose name was Shabbetai ben Bar Merinus, the son of Merinus. Before we read the story of Rashi, uh, just a few lines down in the narrow lines, Yoride Gehenam Hen, says Rashi, She'enan mirachamim la'asot sedaka. They're wealthy, but apparently they're not giving. And as a result, that inability to extend themselves out of their comfort zone and give of themselves, of their wealth to others, that's what makes them yore de gehenam in the eyes of the rabbis. And Gemara now is going to portray this from the following story. So this individual, Shabbetai, ikla' le Bavel, he visited Bavel, ba'aminayu iska. He was interested in an investment. He wanted, says Rashi, to go into a business uh, venture, and he wanted to split the dividend, to split the profit in such a circumstance. Rashi says half the profit, maybe he would take even less. I don't know why Rashi said maybe the standard investment was half. Regardless, they were going to take profit, and they were just investing in them, in him. Uh, he was looking to do this in a very uh, good, uh, wholehearted uh, fashion. In other words, he's not just taking from others, he's giving back. Nobody trusted, nobody was interested in giving to him. Um, says the Gemara, Mazune Mezan Name Lozenuhu. Furthermore, the Gemara says that they, uh, he, they would not give him any sustenance. They didn't give him food. They didn't give him uh, any way to provide for himself. So again, he initially looked for an investment. It's not as if he came just requesting alms for the poor. He, ex he wanted to get into a business venture. They wouldn't help him with that. So then he looked for tzedakah in the classic fashion just to give him food. They wouldn't give him even that. Rashi mezone sha'al mehem mezonot mezaname lazenuhu. He asked from them food. They wouldn't give him that. Amar he said about them shabbetai about the wealthy people of Bavil who wouldn't help him, who wouldn't extend themselves as he was requesting from them, and apparently impoverished in a foreign land for himself. Hane me'erev rav ka'atu. These individuals from Bavel, they look like Jews, they feel like Jews, they speak like Jews, but they must be those who included themselves with us. As we left Egypt, the Pasuk describes how erev rav to, uh, um, attached themselves to Am Yisrael. They were, Rashi says, from other nations. Uh, Unkelus and others, uh, Ibn Ezra says it was from the Egyptians. Regardless, there was a group of foreign nations who tagged along with Am Yisrael. Throughout our trials and travails in the desert, the rabbis 
find Erev Rav there. Whenever there's quarrels and problems, the Chachamim say it was the Erev Rav. Who inspired, who provoked Heta Egel must have been Erev Rav and so forth. It never says it explicitly in the Torah other than one occurrence when there's the Asaf Suf. I don't have explicit reference to Erev Rav causing everything wrong, but the statement in this moment is they must be from Erev Rav. They can't be from us. What's that? That's the derasha of the hachamim. That's the diuk. As says the Gemara, you have to test it out whether it works throughout. You know what I'm saying? Amar haneme erev rav ka'atu dichtiv. After all, the pasuk says about Am Yisrael and Sefer Devarim. The pasuk says v'natan lecha rachamim v'rehamcha. Hakadosh Baruch Hu will give you mercy. He'll give you the capability to be merciful. In turn, Shabbat is looking at these people who have, it seems to him, no bones of mercy in them. And he says, it can't be that they're descendants of Am Yisrael because they would be merciful to me. The truth is the end of the Pasuk, which Rashi calls attention to, says as well, it's, and, and he'll make you great. So he'll give you mercy and the ability to be compassionate upon others. He'll make you great as he promised to your forefathers. In turn, the continued lines of the Gemara are going to invoke Avraham, by extension, Yitzhak and Yaakov, and have us understand the same way they were merciful, there's something in our metaphysical DNA, or maybe even our physical DNA, which sets us apart as the vision of the Hachamim to be merciful. In turn, Shabbetai, as he sees Ashire Bavil, who won't give, he says, they can't be from us. That continues to put that meaning that... I would certainly hope and assume so. I'm saying that... The vision of the Hachamim is to be a member of Am Yisrael means part of your nature is to be a person who is merciful. I would like to say, though, that when people stand out of that, I don't point at them and say they're from Erev Rav. So I do say... I'll, very bad Jew, Jewish being, it's always us that takes us down, I would say. That could be. Again, the statement of the Gemara is more than anything is if you're a true member of Ami, if you're tapping into your origins, if you're seeking to understand what it is that makes you who you are, you it's to be merciful. It's, it brings to mind, we've mentioned it on one or two occasions, there is a Teshubah no Dabi Huda, where he was asked about hunting as a vocation, as a, as a hobby. And so he, he talks about it first from the angle of Tsar Ba'ale Hayim, is there an issue of painting animals? He says, well, if you're going to take the hides, if you're going to take the horns and use them for something, not Tsar Ba'ale Hayim. Is there another issue? He addresses one or two issues, and then he says, but listen, this is not from the Derech, the ways of Avraham Yitzhak and Yaakov. Quotes the Gemara Masech that an individual from Am Yisrael along the lines of this is a Bayishan, is a Gomel Chesed, is a Rahman, is a person who has mercy for others. So he says it might be permitted, but is that really what you as a member of Am Yisrael could and would find yourself doing? Inconceivable. So the Gemara over here has Shabbatai saying, if these individuals are not giving to me, when they see me in my state of despair, in my lowly approach of them to help me out, they must be from Erev Rav. And as a result, the Dirashah again, the Natan Lechadachamim Veri any person who has mercy on others, you can know, you can point at them and say, they're, from a, they're a descendant of Avraham Avinu. Why only Avraham, not Yitzhak and Yaakov? That, that, that includes Ishmael? No, it wasn't. The Mishnah in Nidarim says that if you make a Shivua, I forgot what that is. It says if you make a Shivua or a Ned, a Ned they're more specific. <laughs> I'm not feeling great. I fasted yesterday. It says if you make a neder from, Z- from Zaron. 
Sometimes they look me up. From, from Zera Abraham, says the Gemara, it means only the descendants of Yitzhak. Why? Because the Basuk says, Ki be Yitzhaki kare lecha zara. So it's Yitzhak and not Zera. Zera? Zara. So as a result, the Derasha is that it's only um, um, Bnei Yitzhak that are included in Zera Abraham. Why only Abraham? So everyone says Abraham is the paradigm of Chesed. True. Maharsha points out as well, if I'm not mistaken, maybe Maharsha, one of the, in the back I saw this morning, points out that the Pasuk says in Bereshit, in Perek Yodzai, the Pasuk says, Specifically about Abraham, he's going to have the descendants who do tzedakah mishpat, who, who act with that mercy and justice and righteousness to others. So yes, Yitzhak and Yaakov did so as well, but you want to point to a pasuk who started this, so to speak? Abraham's the one. But okay, so the statement, Any person who doesn't have the mercy and compassion to other um, human beings, clearly he's not. He's saying that, that guy comes from He's saying that all the wealthy people in Bavel come no, from Erevah. No, what I'm saying is that the guy, forget that part, the guy that doesn't yeah. have so now, does, so, so, so Rabbi, as I said earlier, you and that. I, unfortunately, uh, maybe only I, have met people from Am Yisrael who seem to not have compassion upon others. First and foremost, I would not quickly, I would not quickly say, oh, they're from Erev Rav. I would say, okay, something went wrong. Something uh, in their life has triggered them to be different. In other words, it's a statement. It's a statement in a moment of fury. It's not, but it's not for me and you to determine, oh, he must not be Jewish if he acts like this. It's in a moment of fury, he says, it can't be. Rav Natan the statement in turn is, again, disjointed from anything we learned earlier, other than the same rabbi speaking, and an occurrence, a circumstance of uh, being dependent upon another, similar to what we had with Shabbetai. Uh, so his statement here is, any person who's mitzapeh, any person who's hopeful and looking at the table of others, in other words, they can't and don't provide for themselves, are rather just always taking from others, olam hashech ba'ado, the world appears and feels to them as if it's darkened. They feel as if they don't have the same hope, they don't have the same capabilities. When the world is lit up from you, when the spotlight is on you, it feels and it seems, and sometimes it is, as if you can accomplish anything. When you're dependent upon another, when your food and sustenance and well and, 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 and wherewithal comes from another person, you have a darkened world. Yes, you're living, you're thankful for that, but it's not a world which is lit up with possibilities. Well, why why Mitzvah is dependent and not looking at somebody else? Because the word Mitzvah means you're looking at that table, I wish I had that table. In other words, jealousy. It's just asking about the world. Eli, I know the kids. Jesse, you'll see, uh, Eli wants me to answer you, you'll see from the continued words in the Gemara. So that, that much we can suffice with, I got it right. But what I can tell, but I'm trying to define the word for you, mitzapid means to be hopeful for. You're saying, why isn't it just jealousy? It's something you're looking forward to. He's saying it's jealousy. I'm, I'm explaining it's that I'm hoping because it's all I'm getting. Well, here's the derasha, you'll understand that it's right. So, so the Pasuk says in Sefer Yov, if you're wandering and searching for where's the bread, in other words, you don't have it. It's not so much jealousy, you don't have it. Um, the Pasuk says the day is darkened for you. So the Pasuk seems to describe an individual who doesn't have 
uh, the bread, and in turn, the pasuk says the day is uh, darkened for him. Rav Hasta Amar Af Hayavenam Hayim. Rav Hasta extends that statement, and says the darkened world and life that they live is almost as if they don't have life at all. To have a darkened life means to have almost no life at all. You have a pulse and you have a beating heart and a mind that works, but your life is an unfulfilled life if you're constantly dependent upon another. It's a difficult life to live. It's a circumstance situation that human beings never want to feel themselves a part of. Tanura Banana Beraita furthers that notion of three individuals whom if you look at them and you understand psychologically the type of life they live, you'll appreciate and realize their life is, so to speak, no life at all. Shilosha, three individuals, three types of people, hayehen enam hayim. Their life is not life at all. Ve'eluhen, number one, we talked about that one. Number two, a person whose wife controls him. We're just going to suffice with that one. Some people play this one out loud at home. We're going to suffice with the, with the Hebrew. And thirdly, a person who uh, is afflicted and has a pain uh, throughout his or her body. Uh, that third one is significant. It means a person who's pained and feels illness and ailments throughout their lives has a life which is difficult, which is, uh, which is uh, impaired to the extent that uh, they're not able to live a full life. They're, they're, it, 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 that third one seems somewhat obvious. However, it's a little bit complicated based on the Gemara at the beginning of Masechet Berachot and Dafhem Masechet Berachot. You have statements from Rabbi Yohanan that there's something called Yisurin Shel Ahava. Yisurin Shel Ahava means that you can, maybe should imagine, even when you're not deserving of it, God afflicts you in order to give you a reward. That's the way Rashi explains it over there. So, one second. So the Gemara, however, describes, I understand, so Mari says it's not a physical, excited life, but if I imagine true life, I'm talking about true life, it's a spiritual life. The Gemara, however, on Dafhed does qualify. Rabbi Yohanan explains himself. He says, Yisurin Shel specifically is when it doesn't uh, it, 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 when it doesn't inhibit me or it doesn't hold me back from true study of Torah. Words, you might already distinguish <clears throat> that this Gemara is talking about when it does hold me back from study of Torah because I'm so pained and have such illnesses that I can't study. Whereas over there, Yisurin Shalavav Rabbi Yohanan is when it doesn't impair me. Uh, alternatively, Harambam famously in his Moreh Nebuchim points out that Yisurin Shalavav, although Rabbi Yohanan does speak highly of it, he says that it's something significant he used to walk into the Bet Avel of individuals and see them when they were pain and show them a bone. <coughs> Den Garma used to show the bone of one of his children who had passed away and he lost a lot of children in his life <coughs> and wear it as a badge of honor to a certain extent. That was Rabbi Yohanan. So that's Arambam. That's not the primary and it's not the normative approach of the Hachamim. It was Rabbi Yohanan's approach. Not everybody agrees that Yisurin Shel Ahava is a real entity. Arambam is very much opposed to such a thought. God doesn't afflict and uh, uh, impose upon a certain pain for no reason. Can't and shouldn't imagine um, reality and life in such a fashion. Uh, that's the alternative approach to it. The truth is the Gemara over there, I'd like to point out, is has stories 
where Rabbi Yohanan was visiting individuals, and he turns to them and says, Habibim alecha yisurim, are you enjoying this pain? And each of them says, Lohen velo sechara, not interested in them nor in their reward. Finally, the Gemara says how Rabbi Yohanan was pained, and someone entered in to visit him, and said, Habibim alecha yisurim, and he as well says, Lohen velo sechara. So it seems to itself lend us to a vision of this Gemara as well, a person who's filled with pain, whether it impairs their Torah or not, is hayav enam hayim. What's that? It would have to impair it, someone. Maybe. Harambam is opposed to such a concept oh, about Yisurin. Harambam at the end of Perek Aleph of Hilchot Teshubah and Halachat Dalet cites from the Gemara Masechet Yoma the Arba'ah Hiluke Kapara. Uh, over there, you're not talking about a life of pain, per se. You're talking about a person in order to achieve whatever that means, their kapara, their atonement, has and does undergo a portion of their life in pain. Over here, we're talking about a life of pain. We're talking about an extended period. Understood. Furthermore, over there, much as over here, I believe, it's talking about pain which you can't pinpoint its kapara component. And that's why it's Isurin Shel Ahava. Rashi says there's no reason that you can point other than just because he loves you. Harambam there is talking about you did something wrong and in some way it's coming to atone for it. Meducha or Meduche? I always read it. Meducha, probably. Meducha. Um, in other words, Mars points out that uh, when a person has illness and ailments in their life uh, for an extended period, very often we write it on the tombstone that they lived much of their life in illness. He says, why are you remembering them in such a fashion? And uh, maybe we're understanding it as a kapara in some respect. Lastly, says the Gemara, and, and there are those who add in this beraita that a person who as well, so to speak, doesn't have a life at all. It's a person who only has one shirt, only has one cloak. What's the issue with having only one shirt and one cloak? Because it's dishonorable? Not so fast. Rashi, filling it in based on the continued word in the Gemara, says because it'll be filled with lice, with kinim. A person will have a difficult life because you only have one shirt. You can't really take it off to clean it very often because you only have one shirt. They didn't have cleaning mach- they didn't have washing machines in their home. You had to go to the river. You're not easily taking off your shirt and your cloak. In order to uh, wash it, it would be filled with lice. As a result, a life where you're f- constantly struggling with and pained by the lice, which is on your body, that's not a life at all. Vitanakama, and what about the first opinion who doesn't agree to this? Why doesn't he have it on his list of Elulhen? Why doesn't it four people who Hayem and Am Hayim? It's possible to look at, to observe, and to pick out the lies from your clothing while you're wearing it. You don't per se need to clean it, you can pick them out. Um, why doesn't, in turn, the Yesh Rim agree with that? Well, maybe the picking out and looking into it will take up your time as well. Maybe you won't always find it and you'll be filled with those kinim. The common denominator of each of these uh, individuals who Hayahem and Am Hayim, just to state it clearly, is people who don't have the ability, the capability to be mindful and to have a mind which is rested and, and complacent and capable of focusing on matters of importance on themselves and their relationship with Borei Olam. In other words, each of these people, irrespective of the specifics, is it because I don't have the food or I have the kinim or, I, uh, or, or, or alternatively I have the pain, all of those are distractions. Effectively, what the... Well, effectively, I left out the white part I said, but leave it that. In each of these circumstances, it's a person who can't make mindful decisions in their life. They don't have a freedom of choice, they don't have a capability of observing the world and experiencing independently. Those are people who are missing Hayim itself. Baruch Adonai Amen.